it's only when you really go through suffering that you kind of in, in a way that's that's a real blessing in disguise because it helps you to really cry um, to go beyond yourself or really cry to see something to have a deeper experience and so the, the challenges that you have you know when it's kind of difficult and then there's a part inside yourself that really you know really cries for something um, for something to, for the capacity to do it and then you can kind of have real like breakthroughs. Kia ora koutou. that was Harita Davies. I'm Eugene Bingham, and this is Dirt Church Radio. Interesting conversations with interesting runners. It's easy to make a, a silly joke about wild things or, or whatever and be funny about the ads, but at the moment I think one of the things that we are all craving is community, especially because going out into the wild places is something that some of us can't do at the moment uh, or we're struggling to. Wild Things has been an established community hub for a long it's like time. A rock. Uh, it's, it is it's a it, it, it's an institution in Aotearoa trail running. Uh, if you use the code DCR2021 you'll get 15 months uh, VIP membership for the price of 12. You get access to all the benefits that Wild Things has their trail challenges, the shops. What am I missing? Well, even Community. just things like the library. Um, the library. You know, I, I look forward because I mean, I you know, I I like reading about running stuff, and I often think, yeah, 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 I've I've seen everything. But then I'll get the email with all the latest offerings from the from the Wild Things library, and it's like, huh, I I'd miss yeah. that. That's that's a great read. Um, and of course, um, we're kind enough to include Dirt Church Radio each week. So if you've missed an episode, you'll, you'll see it in there. So there's lots of different advantages you get of being a VIP member. And if you use that code DCR2021, you get 15 months VIP membership for the price of 12. It's incredible. Uh, yeah, please please support Rob in, in his endeavor and insert silly comment here. Yeah. Further Faster has a mega sale. Do, 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 do. It's written in pink neon writing, all capitals, Friday, October 22nd to Saturday the 30th. So as you're listening to this, they'll be midway through their mega sale. They always go off their sales up to 50% off in store and online. They've got uh, like a sample seconds and uh, odds and sods warehouse space that you can come and have a look. Um, my goodness, which is Friday. So, yes, it's it's right through there. So incredible. I, if I was in Christchurch, I would be getting in there to have a look at what bargains I could snaffle up. I might actually check out the website, which is furtherfaster.co.nz and do some more online ordering, which is something I'm getting pretty good at at the moment. Uh, yeah. Yeah, please. These guys have been with us for the longest time. Again, you know, amazing community. Uh, please support them furtherfaster.co.nz they got something like further faster there in Christchurch Rocky is hairy and so is Badger Jules is nice and Jacob is delicious go to further faster now oh further faster there in Christchurch Rocky is hairy and so is Badger Jules is nice and Jacob is delicious go to further faster now Church Radio Episode 166, we made it. Um, well, I've made it. Eugene here. Matt has been tied up with a work emergency and we are thinking of you and um, missing you. 
Uh, I will keep this short and snappy since it's just me here and you don't want to hear me rambling on to myself. Uh, But uh, we're very, very delighted to bring you an amazing conversation this week with Harita Davies, Christchurch-born runner. She just completed the longest foot race in the world, the Sri Shimnoi Trofsant Self-Transcendence 3,100-mile event in New York. She broke her own New Zealand record in the process, a time of 50 days, 13 hours, 23 minutes and 14 seconds. She was the only woman in the field this year, which she's been that before. It's the third time that she's completed it. Um, Only a few women have completed it three times. It's an astonishing event. Um, Athletes have 52 days to complete 3,100 miles running a block in New York. Um, 3,100 miles for us metrics is 4,989 kilometres, which if you think of that in terms of Aotearoa, that's the equivalent of running from Kaitaia to Bluff, you know, from the top of the North Island to the bottom of the South Island, turning around, running back to Kaitaia, then turning around again to run to Wellington, and then you've still got 107 kilometres to run. Amazing. We talked to Harita about the event itself, uh, how she managed herself through it, uh, how she came into this race with some more knowledge uh, specific to female athletes, and that's some really good information there for um, female athletes, for women, women who run. Um, and we also talked to her in depth about the practice of meditation and what it means to her in terms of her running. So uh, you will really, really enjoy this conversation with an amazing athlete and human. Uh, okay, I'll hit this button. All righty. Kepler has moved to January 15. The announcement came through last week, just as we were putting the podcast to bed, as it were. Um, So January the 15th is the new event, new date for Kepler. January is packed. Within a week, if you want to, you could do The Revenant, Kepler, Ultra Easy, Naseby, uh, and a bunch of other races. So I guess you better all get training. Um, Yeah, it's... I guess inevitable with the COVID situation here lingering, particularly in Auckland, Tamaki Makoto, we're going to see uh, more events postponed and so on. Um, so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the calendar gets packed for next year when hopefully, um, presumably with vaccine certificates, we're going to be able to get back to racing. So um, keep an eye on that calendar and Figure out your training schedule. Oof. Uh, okay, I'll just roll into the um, racing, which was on this weekend. Hallelujah. Uh, Mission Mount Summers was on in Canterbury in the Mount Summers track, on the Mount Summers track with technical single trail, views of the Canterbury Plains, and basically it's a trail running paradise. Uh, and it had some great fields. People were obviously really amped to get racing. In the marathon, uh, Katie, sorry, Kate Loy, 5.22.38, took out the win. Katie Morgan, 5.25.23, was not far behind. And then Nancy Zhang, uh, 5.41.46, was third. And for the men, Daniel Jones, uh, 4.03.36, romped home. Uh, Struan Webb, second, 4.28.02. And Hamish Elliott, 4.35.14, was third. In the 21K, Sabrina Grogan, 2.39.00. 23, Savannah Stewart, 241.19, and Miriam Clark, third in 244.53. And for the men, uh, Soares Corporal, 156.49, our friend Ryan Carr, 158.18, and Ben Williams, 159.18, was third. 
So, yeah, and, and the 10K too. Sophie Lampe was uh, first in 51-10 for the women and Callum Brown for the men was the winner in 48-34. And the 5K was Paula Warman, 31-40 for the women and Ben Ginders, uh, 25-07 for the win there for the men. So, yeah, as I said, amazing fields, right? Some um, big names there racing, obviously keen to get racing after a long time of no racing. Uh, Ruth Croft, we mentioned last week that she was racing in France as we were recording, and of course she bloody went and won, didn't she? Of course. Um, so it was her second win at the Grand Trail uh, de Templier, uh, an 81k event in southern France with 3,690 metres of climbing, Whew, but mostly runnable terrain. Oh, that's lucky. Uh, so she took it easy in the first part of the race uh, and then just took the lead at 35k. I, I saw an Instagram post from her which she talked about um, Flood of the Concords, it's business time coming on. So naturally, she had to step it up. So she did. And just 14 Ks later, she was six minutes ahead of second place. And then in the final 11 K, because um, she maintained that six minute lead for quite a while. And then in the final 11 K, she just broke away from the rest of the field and was 20 minutes clear of second by the end. So that's it for her season. What a great season with her second place at Western States. Um, she said it going into the race, it had taken her a while after that to feel back to her usual self after that 100 mile debut but she drew a lot of confidence from the result um she told brian powell from iran far in their coverage that she'll probably be back at western states next year so that's going to be exciting um and with a bit more knowledge and experience um watch out um she says that she's due back in aotearoa welcome home if you already are ruth um and that she'll do some road races like she did in the build-up this year so Watch the space, eh? Uh, the UK's Jonathan Albin won the men's race by seven minutes, um, but he put five of those minutes on second place in the last 11K, so he really put the foot down in that last 11K. Um, okay, I'm going to skip Greatest Run Ever because that's really Matt's special uh, contribution to the show, and so we will delay until next week. But look, keep sending them in. It's a part of the show where we ask you to write in, Tell us your greatest run ever. It doesn't have to be a race or a mountain summit. It might just be a run around the block, something that's sung to you for some reason. Send it into a Radio at gmail.com. We did have a bit of a COVID backlog, as it were, lockdown backlog, but we've worked our way through that. So keep sending them in. Um, we really love uh, hearing them, and we get a lot of feedback from people saying how much they enjoy that part of the show. So please do send them in. But for this week, we'll get straight into our interview with Harita Davies. Um, as I mentioned, Christchurch born, now lives in New York. Um, just completed the longest foot race in the world, the Shreesham Noi Trough Self Transcendence. Why do we all stumble over that? 3,100 mile event in New York. Um, we followed her progress, didn't we, in, during, the, during the race and encouraged her and supported her. So it was great to see her finish in a, such a great time. 50 days, 13 hours, 23 minutes and 14 seconds. Uh, you will get a lot out of this conversation, um, I'm sure, and we were really, really privileged to be able to catch up with Harita Davies. Radio. Joining us on the line from New York is Harita Davies. Kia ora, Harita, and congratulations. Kia ora, and thank you so much. Yeah. How, how, what does recovery even look like after such a mammoth event? Well... It takes a little bit of time. <laughs> um, and now that it's my third time doing it, I can say that um, it seems that each time I've done it, the recovery definitely seems easier. 
Right. Yeah. Um, the first time I did it, my whole being was in so much shock that um, it took me even at least a month to be able to um, sleep at night without dreaming that I was still out on the race course. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Every night I dreamt that I still had like five laps to go or 10 laps <sighs> to go or something like that. It was really torture. Wow. Um, so now, like this time, I don't have dreams like that at all and I'm actually even compared to the last time I did it two years ago I'm sleeping a lot better and ideally to recover after this race you want to get a lot of sleep um and you want to eat really well <laughs> Shri Chinmoy said eat and drink voraciously <laughs> afterwards <laughs> don't worry about you know gaining weight yeah um so yeah, eat a lot, drink a lot, rest a lot. and um, But one of the things that almost seems contrary to what people think is that, especially for the first week after the race, you actually need to keep moving because mm. your whole, all of your organs and your whole system is so geared to be working at such a hard pace that um, if you just stop and sleep, um, then you can actually even do damage to your right. kidney and liver, that kind wow. of thing. So, so it's like going, so you, do need- you don't want to go cold turkey. No, you do need to, for your feet and your legs, you really feel it as well. You do need to kind of force yourself to go out and, yeah, ideally do some running. I've been mostly just walking. Mm, mm. Yeah, and take it easy on yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, that's that's fascinating that it even inveigles your dreams, um, or it can do. So you said you were happy the race was able to take place because of these, I guess, the extraordinary times that we're in. How good was it being able to come together for a race after all that's happened in the last 18 months plus? Yeah, it felt so, um, so you could say indescribably good and special and meaningful. Um, this race is always something that is meaningful because it's something that it gives, that's so beyond people's comprehension that it it does give people inspiration and it does, um, you know, hopefully <laughs> inspire people to also stretch their own capacity and do more than they can. And so for me, that that has a lot of meaning in it. Um, but definitely this year, um, I felt like uh, even in our little local area in New York and then in the big world family, um, there's been so much, um, so much isolation and, so many people have been, you know, unhappy or anxious or worried um, and, you know, have just been by themselves. And then there's also been a lot of division um, in the way that people approach the virus and how they feel about it. And even going into the race, there was a lot of people who felt that the race shouldn't happen this year. Um, it was, you know, not a good idea. It was dangerous. And, you know, what if we all get the virus? And and then, um, and then there was other people who really felt, no, it absolutely has to happen. <laughs> you know, we need to do it. And I, I just really felt like, I just actually really prayed that if it was meant to happen it would happen and if it wasn't meant to happen it wouldn't happen (laughs) and um (laughs) you know that was my only way because I felt like it I felt like it should happen but then you never really know you know what could happen so um the fact that it the fact that it happened um felt very meaningful to me and I felt that at the end of the race I was so happy that I I felt it really did bring people together and give people joy and inspiration, which is exactly what we need right now Mm, and hope. Absolutely, absolutely. It's interesting you're um, praying for basically if if it's to happen, it will happen. If it won't, it won't. Um, 
there's a lesson there, isn't there, in the way that in these past 18 months we've had to learn to almost like try stop controlling the things we can't control. Um, we've mm-hmm. been so caught up in, in what should and shouldn't happen when lots of things are out of, of our control. How have you coped with that, especially being in New York, which for a long time was at the, the epicentre of this pandemic? Yeah, it was. Um, I'm really grateful that I have a spiritual life and that I practice meditation because that helped me tremendously um, because it gives you um, a basic faith that there is a higher power taking care of everything and that everything will be okay. And also um, my practice of meditation really gives me the capacity to focus on the th- focus on all of the good things and the things to be grateful for. And um, I think that that's such a powerful practice for anybody, whether you see yourself as a spiritual person or not, to, um, to really try to always focus on the good things in your life and the blessings that you do have. And um, here in New York, it was, um, it was very challenging for a long time. And um, one of the most challenging things for me was that I am by nature an optimistic person and I like to focus on all of the positive sides. And when, you know, a lot of, when I saw a lot of my friends and people around me um, having so much anxiety and feeling like their lives were just falling apart, I found that hard to deal with because I felt like um, definitely in in our community with the people that that I live with, we all um, had enough food. (laughs) We were all Mm. in our houses internet um, you know there was nothing apart from the fact that you could get the virus as long as you didn't have it really your life was so comfortable compared to what so many other people in other neighborhoods of New York or around the world are facing and so for me that was a big challenge to not judge those people and to accept that um, you know people if people have anxiety and stress then that's their nature and you can't um you can't change that in the same way that they can't make me be really anxious and worried about (laughs) getting the virus I can't make them stop being anxious and worried and so um in so many ways there's these you can say opportunities to um you know to be a bigger person and to um and yeah and to grow and to not not judge other people and also just to yeah in the end to be so grateful for for what we do have. Mm. Yeah. And um, I guess now in New York, it's interesting compared to New Zealand, you know, now we've sort of been through the whole thing. And although there are still a lot of cases and people are still getting the virus, we're um, really in a completely different place from where New Zealand is at now. So that's really, really interesting. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There is, yeah. And at the same time, there are still people here who are very concerned and worried. Um, but overall we've, we went through a lot together as a um, as a city and as a country, going through the whole election and everything at the same time. And um, I do, yeah, I do feel that there is. Um, it, it has, although it has divided people, there's it still gives us a kind of strength and um, and forward movement when we feel that although we're not at the end of it, we've definitely gone through a lot and we're coming out the other side, which is something positive. Mm, mm. We spoke to a guest recently, Andy Jones-Wilkins, who described it as, we, we have to remember we're in an ultra marathon here. This is not a sprint, you know, and there are going to be highs and lows and we just need to 
yeah. be in that mindset as we go through this. But anyway, yeah. on the race itself, um, you were the only female in the field. Was that significant to you? Well, it's the second time that's happened to me. <laughs> First time I did the race, there were four women. The second time up until close to the race, there were going to be two other women and then they both pulled out because of injuries. So I was the only woman. And then this year, even going into the race, there were no other women who were, um, you know, in a position to do it. And um, so it was it's something that I, I kind of was used to from last time. And also this the nature of this race is not that you're kind of out on your own with these six other guys for 52 days. Like it is a half mile loop. And so every eight to 10 minutes, I would see a bunch of other women. So, and I had a really great team of women helpers and friends and supporters since I, you know, at the moment I live in this local area. So um, I definitely wasn't lacking in um, <laughs> woman power being, being around me. Um, but at the same time, I, definitely felt um I, I guess I felt in, in one sense it's nice you feel all of the women in the world behind you because you know they want you to they want you to do well so that's nice and um then there's a certain kind of responsibility to you know to feel like you you really want to do well for you know for the um for womankind and um yeah and then it was at the same time, in this race, it's such a family feeling. And although it's a race and it is a competition, at the same time, it's um, it's it's really like a little community. And all of the runners really are like your brothers. And um, they they really we really have a family feeling where we try to help each other and be supportive of each other. And so, um, in a very in a very nice way. So. Um, the other guys who are doing it really were like brothers and um that that was a nice experience yeah I think some of the <laughs> some of the 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 runners that do this race are really some of the best um <laughs> representatives of um men in the world because they've um uh, they've gone through so much and many of them have done it many times and they have so much humility and kindness and goodness and there's Ultra running beats down the ego, you could say. <laughs> it sure does, especially an event like that, I imagine. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a lovely way to describe it, like running with brothers. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and it did seem in watching some of the video feed and so on that there was – it's a very, very special uh, event, isn't it? And, you know, having watched coverage of it over the years, it, it's it's something quite amazing. How, how do you even describe what it's what it's like to be amongst that and in, in that environment and and how it's much more than just a, a running event um well I guess it's such a huge thing to describe but um it's like a little world in itself and um it's very powerful um one of the one of the things is the circular nature of the race um I've kind of mentioned in other interviews that at one point one of my friends pointed out that everything in the world is going around in small circles you know right from the atoms inside our body to the you know the earth rotating around the sun every day and the moon going around and all of the planets in the universe and you know everything's actually going around in circles and so people say it's such an unusual concept but it's not actually unusual at all it's actually completely natural um but then it does um it, it does create an energy and a power when you're just all going around and around the same 
you know, the same small um, course and um, that's something that everybody feels, I think. Mm. Mm. And you and yeah. you draw from that, I guess, being being part of it. You can you're you're giving to that spirit, you're giving to that um environment, but you're also drawing strength from it, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely. Definitely. Mm. On on your, your performance itself in breaking your record by almost a whole day, how much stock do you put in, in that aspect of it, the performance aspect of it? And and was it something you, you realised you were capable of before the race? Yeah, so for me, doing the race is not, um, it's not about, you know, trying to smash records or whatever, but at the same time, it is called the self-transcendent 3,100-mile race and the whole um foundation of the race is a self-transcendence experience and so if you can um have the you know having the outer goal having the goal of 3100 miles having the amount of miles you have to do every day having these kind of goals is what um you know motivates you to keep going and what keeps you going and so then when you feel like you can do better than your previous time then obviously that's an, a motivating factor and um it gives you the feeling that you're transcending yourself outwardly and then in order to transcend yourself outwardly you have to go beyond you know your mind's limitations and um yeah your preconceived ideas of what you can do in this certain i think most people who are runners know that every time you do do faster than you've done before or you do better in a race then there's a certain level of something you have to do something better you know to do that you have to either yeah either you have to practice more meditation practice more mind control you have to do more train you know sprint training or strength training or that kind of thing and so I definitely did um I learned about Stacy Sims who you know does a, has um written a lot about the difference between women athletes and male athletes and that gave me like you know a few good pointers on things that um that it's important for me to do differently um particularly in the heat and when it's you know when you have when you're dealing with your monthly cycle and that's something really different when you're the only woman in a race then um the other men don't have to worry about those kind of things. So that um, I found that really helpful. And then um, I also did more strength training this year than I've done before in my um, in my training, and that was um, that was helpful. So I knew going into the race that I was um, stronger than I had been before, and um, that I kind of had more. I knew more outwardly than I did before um you know you could say outwardly compared to like the the inner realm of your spirituality and then you know then inwardly I feel like with my practice of meditation with my spiritual life with you know always trying to kind of progress and go beyond myself that um definitely the last couple of years has been a big challenge and I really hope that I've grown as a person and that I could take that strength into the race and um and yeah, remind myself that I was doing it for all of humanity and that I had the whole world behind me as well. And, um, yeah, so I think all of those, all of those things, you know, um, came together for me. Mm, yeah. Mm. Wow. That's so exciting. Can you talk a bit more about the, the Stacey Sims work and, and what it was that, that you took from it and, and how that, 
how that was able to help you in as far as it's able to help other women runners women runners women who so because this race was held in the fall we didn't have to deal so much with hot weather previously it's always been held in summer and um there's definitely a difference in how women cope with the heat and with hydration at different um, stages of their cycle and so um the first half of the race in september sometimes we did have some quite hot weather so um when you're um in the um second part of your um cycle leading up to getting your period then women actually their blood becomes kind of a little thicker so they need to actually hydrate more and their body temperature rises slightly so they um it's harder to hydrate and they need to drink more and take more electrolytes actually than men do so that was something really helpful to know um just to be you know to be really aware of the hydration and of the fact that you have to um there's there's more things you can do to help you to cool your body down and to to deal with the heat and um then yeah eating more protein and um less carbohydrates and women um, in general have a lot more trouble with their stomachs than men do. Um, I think men often have trouble with their stomachs, but for women in ultra running, every woman that you speak to who does multi-day races is like, oh, the you know, the stomach problems are really the worst part of it. And I can't say that I, um, I can't say that I, you know, I, that I really managed to get over that one. Like definitely in the last couple of, weeks of this race my stomach was really my biggest challenge so I've definitely still got progress to make in that field um I I mean it's difficult on anybody's stomachs but yeah from my observation the men compared to the women the women have a lot more trouble with their stomachs so having less sugar having you know eating really whole foods which is something that we tend to do in this race anyway compared to other shorter races where people might have lots of gels and things which can really wreak havoc on your stomach. But knowing yeah, knowing about that and knowing the the, the difference between um men and women and that women are more sensitive, I think gave me a lot of confidence and then really knowing the importance of um strength and of being strong. Up my muscle mass before the race and um yeah, knowing that that would um that that's something that's really important for women to do um just kind of gave me confidence as well and yeah that's that's a few things but I think one of the one of the key things that I took away from reading Stacey Sims book and actually doing her course was just kind of giving me the confidence that you um you don't have to feel like you're going to fall apart when you get your period during the race and that um (laughs) there are things that you can do and that you can stay strong and that um there's yeah that women have the capacity to um they scientifically you know as well as um (laughs) as well as through, you know, their mental capacity, have the capacity to do these kind of things. Mm, yeah, And we um, see so many great examples, don't we, of incredible ultra we runners. We do, and we're seeing it more and more, which has been so, so exciting. And I think that, um, I mean, I'm happy to be, you know, to be able to be um, an example and an inspiration and hopefully because the more women that you see doing these things and, you know, even outright winning ultra races, um, more confidence it will give to other women as well so I'm yeah that's why I'm you know so that really inspires me um and it really inspires me to get on top of these things that are obstacles for other women so that I can show that it's 
yeah, yeah. <laughs> that we can do. Yeah. I, I, while we're on this topic, I read that you had um, significant issues with endometriosis. Is that right? That that actually mm-hmm. stopped you from running for a long time. Do you mind, in that mm-hmm. same way as to how it might help other people, do you mind talking a little bit about what that process was and, and how you were able to, to navigate your way through it, I guess, to get back to running the incredible distances that you do now? Yeah. Well, for me, um, I... Um, I always had a lot of trouble with um, really bad period pain and as a lot of women do and it's something that, uh, you know, up until recently women don't speak about at all and um, this would be like, you know, a huge issue if I was running a marathon or something and, you know, it was it, it came at the same time. Um, and, um, yeah, at one point in my life after it was after I had done a multi-day race I did um three six-day races and one 10-day race and um after I did a race in 2007 I think I didn't really look after myself properly afterwards I didn't really recover properly and I just kind of um went physically went downhill and then I developed quite I think I already had endometriosis, but it became more serious. And then for almost five years, I really couldn't run more than about two miles without getting really exhausted. And um, I would get a lot of like internal kind of um, inflammation. And so I I actually, um, Sri Chinmoy passed away in 2007, but I actually asked him about it before he passed away because he was he he would always be happy to take questions from us and um I asked him you know if I should I had been advised by an Ayurvedic doctor that I should give up running and I really didn't want to give up running so I asked him about it and he said to me no running for three months then run and walk then run and um so yeah then he passed away less than a month later actually after he'd given me that advice and so I didn't run for three months and then the run and walk phase ended up being like five years. But at the same time, I was so grateful that I had asked him that because I really felt that he saw that I could would be able to start running again. Like he definitely didn't say don't run anymore. And so I felt like even though it went for a long time, I felt like at some point I'm going to be able to start running again. So I had that um, faith in my spiritual teacher and in my um, in my spiritual life. And even though I thought the period would be a lot shorter, um, in 2011, we were, um, you know, we had the big earthquake in Christchurch and the restaurant that I worked at was um, the Lotus Heart that was um, uh, closed down. You know, it was where both of our locations were um, damaged in the earthquake, and so I ended up going and spending some time in New York. And then I never ever imagined living in New York because I really love New Zealand, and you know, I always totally see myself as a New Zealander. But um, yeah, I just inwardly kind of saw that it was time for me to have a change in my life, and that there were things about the way that I was living my life that just weren't making me happy and that I really needed to be happy to be able to be healthy. And um, so I ended up getting really involved in the peace run and the the Sri Chimoy Oneness Home Peace Run is like kind of another big um, vision of Sri Chimoy's for peace in the world. Everything that he did was kind of aimed at um, 
the individual contribution to 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 you know world to worldwide peace and that each one of us ultimately are the ones who are going to bring peace to the world and so i in 2012 i did the american peace run like um three months of it and um that was that involved a lot of running and that was something i was I just got inspired to do, but at the same time, I was really nervous because I didn't know if I'd be able to do the running, but it was also making me really happy. And so for me, just um, taking responsibility for my own happiness, um, kind of being brave to make some big life changes and to do something different and to kind of follow my heart and my inspiration was really a catalyst to physical healing. And so um, after that, yeah, I never really looked back. And even though I tried to, I came back to live in New Zealand, but it just like, um, not because of New Zealand, but just because it wasn't, it was like I was just, I was meant to do something different. And um, so then, yeah, then I ended up, um, now I'm one of the directors of the American Peace Run. And so that's like something that I really love, I'm really passionate about. And um, through doing that and just kind of, taking responsibility for my happiness and listening to my heart and being really true to myself, um, the endometriosis really just went away. So I was, um, I can't say that that would be like a <laughs> magic cure for everyone, but Sri Chimoy has a really simple little aphorism that says a cheerful mind has always been a perfect guide to a healthy body. And um, sometimes the most simplest um <laughs> you know phrases can have the most power and I think there's really there really is a lot in that and I've seen that in myself and I've seen that in friends and people that I know over and over again that um that we have to um yeah if we if we really want to be healthy and if we are struggling with health issues that um it can be complicated. There's so many different reasons for people to have health issues, but for yeah, for a start, really being sincere with yourself about are you really happy or what changes can you make to be happy to be fulfilled can make a huge difference. Mm. I mean, we we know, don't we, that stress can have an enormous impact on our body. So if we're doing things that are making us unhappy, yeah. no doubt that brings stress to the body. And you know, yeah. so if you can deal with that, I guess there's a way to a path yeah. to, to dealing with the health issues. Mm. You don't have yeah. to move to New York though. You don't have to move to New York. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But also, you know, yeah, I took so many different vitamins and supplements and all yeah. these kind of things. So often we just taking all these pills that yeah. aren't helping us at all. You know, when you, if you really, if you really meditate or self-reflect or really look at yourself, you can, you know, usually you kind of know whether yeah. it's an unhealthy relationship or what it is, you know, that there's something in your life that's really not working. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. Um, on the race itself, again, I keep coming back to it, don't I, but how did you manage yourself day to day? Again, there's the act of tying up your shoelaces, but it's much more than that, isn't it, to be able to get to the race line, um, to start line every day, Um and that involves what you do at night as well. So I wonder if you'd just talk us through how you did manage to manage yourself for so many days on end. Sure. So I was really fortunate. I had a team of helpers and um, I had actually three main people because it's a huge, the race happens for 18 hours, but then there's before and after. So it's pretty much like about 20 hours a day that you kind of are, <laughs> 
are active and um so I had somebody who would um help make help me get out the door in the morning so um I was I mean I can kind of say from the start of the day if you like like I sure yeah race so um I live actually really close to the race course in Jamaica Queens so I was able to stay in my own house although my bedroom is in the attic and um so I moved down to the ground floor of the house <laughs> so I didn't have to walk up all those stairs every day um so yeah my alarm would go off at five fifteen, then I'd usually and then I would go off again at five twenty. then I would <laughs> kind of drag myself out of bed and um usually you just like have like a five minute meditation usually I would meditate for a lot longer but just you know obviously during the race just a really short meditation usually when we're doing the race we take it as part of our meditation you know so um yeah and right from the start of the day just try to and try to see the bright side of it and because if you if your mind is just kind of like oh god mm. torture I have to get up <laughs> everything hurts so you kind of just for me one of my um main ways of coping is almost just to kind of laugh at myself just kind of wake up and be like oh my god here I go again you know <laughs> just kind of like all right I know this is outrageous but you know we're gonna do this you know and <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna just take the first step and um yeah a, a long time ago in my life I kind of learned that you just need to break things down into small steps even like I worked at a restaurant for so many years where I used to work really really long hours and if you thought of the whole day it would just be too much but if you just thought okay I'm just gonna make the muffins I'm gonna start with that then I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do this then you know you can cope with it it's like always finding ways to kind of trick your mind or mm. to help your mind cope with it so yeah, you just kind of think, okay, I've just got to get myself to the start line. Like that's all I need to focus on. Brush my teeth, put on my shorts and t-shirts. Someone would um, tend to six. Someone would come and um, give me a ride to the race. I had um, actually seven different women who would come and pick me up each morning. So, um, you know, different friends of mine. So it's about a three or four minute drive to the race. So someone would give me a ride there and Otherwise, the last one to arrive, I'd arrive at like five or six and <laughs> everyone else was already there. Um, and then, yeah, then I just basically had to put on my shoes. I I would always wear um, these kind of um, flip-flop kind of shoes that are quite good for your feet um, so that I only wore my running shoes when I absolutely had to because I, yeah. I also, before the race, I gave a lot of um, attention to um, – to my feet and I actually saw a woman in Christchurch her name is Hazel something she's a um, physiotherapist who does really alternative kind of treatment and um so she had given me a lot of help which I forgot to mention earlier on um helping to try to correct the endless problems that I have in my body that we all have you know my uneven hips and my yeah, feet and everything so um anyway that's a side note but I gave a lot of importance to my feet and that helped me a lot, um, strengthening them. Um, I put on, so basically I'd get to the race, put on my shoes and my friend would have made me a smoothie. Like, and so I would have that on the first lap and, um, yeah, then we stand on the start line and I don't know if you saw, you know, that was on the webcam. A lot of people would watch the start of the race, which was um, kind of an amusing thing because some people would be staggering to the start and then, you know and then we're all just kind of standing there and again when you're standing on the start line you don't think you're going to be running for 18 hours you know you there's no way that you think that you just you just 
think either of one lap or of a couple of laps or at the most um, you think of just between the breaks that you have. So I would have three breaks a day. Um, I'd have one break at 10.30, one at 3 and one at 7.30. And um, so basically my only goal was to, um, in the beginning, at the start of the race, just to make it around the first lap, really. <laughs> and then and then as after I've been going for an hour or two, then my main goal would just be to make it to my first break time at 10.30. And um, usually for the first, um, about the first hour of the race, I would really take that as my meditation time and I would just try to really silence my mind and just breathe in peace and um, focus. I have some songs and prayers that I say every day, so I would do those and just really, yeah, I didn't want to talk too much or anything, just try to be really meditative and try to be, peaceful and it was always dark which was kind of nice one nice thing about having the race in the fall was that um we started in the dark and we you know we saw the whole dawn the whole sunrise and then we would see the whole sunset and then the last few hours would be in the dark um I was pretty always pretty slow at the start of the day some people would like run off madly and I'm not one of those kind of people I would start walking and then gradually speed up and then Throughout the day when it's hot, when the sun's out, I actually don't run that well. Like I find it quite hard to run, even though it wasn't that hot. Like in the, the daytime is not my best time for running. Actually, really the only time I run well is after the sun sets. <laughs> so, um, so a lot of the time I would just sort of be, you know, outwardly struggling. So, um, yeah, I would have to always be um, – always be trying to kind of focus on my heart and focus on the just the simple things that would give me joy and um yeah always you have to kind of try to go beyond the mind because the mind always wants to tell you how difficult it is how ridiculous it is the mind always wants to find the things to get really annoyed and upset about and um to complain about and all the things that are sore and there's always in this race, there's always something hurting. Oh, there's always something. Like you never have a time when there's not something. It's you know, it's either your left knee or your Achilles or your, you know, right toe or there's there's something that's always hurts. And the more you focus on it, the more the sore it gets. So um, it's amazing how sore something can get if you really focus on it. <laughs> it can get really, really painful. So, yeah, one thing is taking your mind off it or trying to trying to bring light into it, but mostly taking your mind off it and having faith that things come and things go. You know, injuries come, injuries go, pain comes and pain goes. Yeah. Um, yeah, but in terms of the, the overall day, then I would have uh, – um, I had helpers who were giving me food and drinks. What, what were you eating um, and drinking? Sorry. Well, I'm I'm vegetarian, uh-huh. so I don't eat any um, meat, and um, you know all the food that was supplied was also vegetarian. Um, so I was drinking um, mostly coconut water. Actually, that's the main electrolyte that I like to have, but I have it really watered down. So right. like half coconut water, half water, or even less than that. Um, and then I would drink different kind of herbal teas. I drink kombucha, um, juices like green juices, um, smoothies, you know, quite a few smoothies. Um, 
non-alcoholic beer sometimes. Um, I don't drink alcohol, but I, I don't know if people would drink alcohol during a race like that. <laughs> Maybe they would, I don't know. Um, um, yeah, I don't know. I'd probably, probably a lot of other things, but my main elite, and then sometimes I would drink like um, the noon and endure, endurance um, electrolyte drink if I wanted something different. But for, yeah, for me. Also, oh, and then at the end, I started drinking a lot of it. Um, it was a mixture of uh, baking soda, salt, and maple syrup um, because, um, yeah, because my stomach was so acidic and there was just nothing I could do about it. And so um, baking soda became my best friend. Actually, I was like really – um, really laughing, saying that at the end of the race, I was going to approach baking soda companies for sponsorship. <laughs> I could be the face of baking soda. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I'm the baking. I use baking soda for this race. Baking soda's All, moved into the ultra running world. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and I would soak my feet in baking soda at night. I would. Uh, we would wow. clean the bath with baking soda. I would be <laughs> drinking baking soda, but that is actually. It really is a miracle for mm. an acidic stomach. So, um, yeah. yeah, and that drink um, can work quite well also as an electrolyte drink. So, yeah, that I guess that sort of overtook coconut water as my yeah, main, main source. <laughs> it doesn't really taste that good, but... Um, <laughs> the maple syrup would help, I'm sure. So in terms of food, you're eating real food and... And yes. you eating? Were you eating like every lap or how do you how do you manage that? Was it just during the breaks or...? Um, no, I'd be eating, um, just small amounts really regularly. Yeah. 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 Because also in one sense, it's good for your stomach because it's, um, you can keep, you're not eating a huge meal and then mm. trying to run on it. It is over time really challenging on your stomach yeah. to be eating all the time. And, um, um, ice cream is something that everybody loves and can eat, but I would, yeah. So I would start the day with a smoothie, like either a green smoothie or like a chocolate maca kind of smoothie. Then I would, um, have oatmeal, um, some kind of oatmeal. Then I would have, um, eggs and potatoes and I would have like a yogurt with chow and prash kind of mixture. And yeah, all of that was sort of breakfast and, um, <laughs> then, <laughs> then, um, yeah, then move on to um, different, like we had cooks who would make like different kinds of vegetables and then all kinds of lunches. And um, because we had a couple of Asian runners, then we had, um, we would get, they liked getting Chinese food. And I actually found, ended up finding Chinese food really good, like rice and vegetables with tofu, like it was actually quite digestible. So mm. I had a lot of rice. I was, yeah, I kind of got pretty into Chinese food, which is, <laughs> which is good because it's kind of simple. Yeah, rice, you know, try to eat as many vegetables, potatoes, um, then try to get, you know, try to get protein through mostly through smoothies and eggs and then sometimes beans can be like a little dodgy. Yeah, um, yeah um, definitely mostly whole foods and um, <laughs> there was a lot of really awesome food that was made for us that I couldn't eat, which was very <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Takeaway packs say, that you put oh, in the freezer. <laughs> yeah, people say, "Wow, it's so cool! You guys can just eat whatever you want, and you still lose weight." And you're like, "Well, you really can't because your yeah. stomach is so upset." Yeah. Um. So I had a lot of um. I had in the evenings, basically after the sunset, it was really hard to digest anything. So yeah. I would just have like chia porridge and rice pudding 
pretty much like for the whole evening. So I consumed huge amounts of chia porridge and rice pudding, yeah, that my friends would make for me and that that worked well for me. Soups yeah. as well, you know, um, vegetable soups, miso soup. Mm. It was kind of really good, yeah. But I still, um, yeah, I still ended up losing um, like 22 pounds. Right. I don't know how yeah, I can't, I don't know what the calculation is, but yeah, it's yeah, wow. Thank you. And at the end of the day, so you you would you have a a, col- a mile target for each day, or is, would you run yeah. to the end of the day, or how how did you how did you do that? Yeah, I would always run until midnight, pretty much. And um, so for us, the you know sort of the minimum to finish the race is say fifty nine miles. Yeah. Um, which is like 96 kilometers or something. and But for us, everything is in laps. So mm. um, 109 laps is like the kind of target minimum amount of laps. 110 is a little better than like the guy who was winning it, Andrea. Yeah, Andrea. He was mm. doing 130 laps a day or something like that. Um, so if I could do 110, 111, 112 laps a day, then I was really happy with that. And um, that was a huge goal to achieve that for me every day like mm. I would basically by my first break at 10 30 I'd try to do about 30 laps then by my second break um at three o'clock I would try to have done like 57 laps something like that but at the same time I wouldn't I I wouldn't like prolong it too long if I hadn't done the amount of laps that I needed I would really try to have my breaks kind yes. of at that time or a little after um and then yeah, then then I would have my by my third break, um, which was at seven thirty, I would try to do over eighty laps and then always I would have to do so many more laps in the evening to make it up. Um but for me the the evening was really just my best time for running. It's not like that for everybody. Some people really run much better in the day and at night time they're just kind of dragging themselves <laughs> around the court. But for me, for whatever reason, I like when the sun goes down and it becomes dark the course is also transformed because um the course has a lot of people a lot of activity during the day and then at night time it kind of becomes like more sacred you could say it's much like kind of Mm. quieter and I think people probably other people who do ultra marathons would kind of know that experience as well of the day when it's the night time it's just a really different kind of feeling and um it was also much more of a meditative time for me I could just run and kind of pray and meditate and just really try to feel peace and I felt like I was faster and everything was smoother and easier and um yeah then I would just try to get get in as many laps as I can in the last hour there was always a lot of energy in the last hour which seems outrageous after yeah. you've been running for 17 hours at the last but it was kind of you know, it's not a it's not a real physical experience. It's such a spiritual experience, and somehow the last hour would have a lot of energy, so I could run probably my most miles of any hour at that time. Wow, wow, that says a lot, doesn't it? You mentioned the the neighbourhood there, and I've always been curious how how do the neighbours react to you running around and around their neighbourhood? <laughs> they actually love it. Yep. Yeah, I would say most people really love it. It's a um, very mul- multicultural neighbourhood, and so um, there's it's become increasingly Bengali, and so there's a huge Muslim population in that area, and a lot of the um, 
a lot of the Muslim people, they come out and they walk or run around the course because it's around a school and a field. Mm. There's a big sport field and there's a playground and there's handball courts and basketball courts at one end and then there's the Thomas Edison High School at the other end and there's a big sports field in the middle. So there's no houses in that block and um, there's no streets either that you need to cross or anything. So other people do their daily walking or running or exercising around there and so you get to know a lot of the people mm. um and other years there's been some of the muslim women who have actually started running with me and but they would you know they would really appreciate it and um a lot of the people they they show a lot of interest and they come you know they come out and they're cheering you on and they're generally they're sad when the race is finishing yeah. <laughs> they're like i can't believe it's finishing and i'm like I can. <laughs> yeah. 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 But then there's um but then this year we had the unique situation where or unique from other years where the school was actually in session because usually ah. the race is in the middle of summer and there's usually about one or two weeks with before school finishes and then the whole summer there's just summer school, which is a really small amount of students. But this year, um I don't, there must be maybe seven or 800 students in the school. I'm not actually sure how many. There's a lot. Um, so they would all be um, arriving at school early in the morning. There'll be two sessions of arriving and then um, leaving from school and two big sessions in the afternoon. So that was hundreds and hundreds of kids who have really very little interest in you as yeah. a runner around that course. And so, um, yeah, I was thinking about that, that that's um, – they. Well, you think that they have no interest, but I think actually they're teenagers and they do, but they don't show it. They don't want to show yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. They don't want to show it, but they are actually, like when people started finishing, they when they saw the balloons up, but, you know, a lot of the kids were like, whoa, someone's finishing, like crazy. You know, so I think a lot of them were interested, but when you're, um, when they come out of school and you're going around and you have to be going against the current of the kids, you know, um, they are not interested in you at all. <laughs> that was also one of those things where you just, you have to, you can't even slightly let yourself get annoyed with it because that would just be ridiculous. Right. You know, you just have to get like, okay, this is, here's the kids, cool. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. It's going to be fun. Let's see if I can manage to get through them all without getting tripped up because sometimes their backpack will bash into you. Yeah. Or, you know, <laughs> you're trying to go around them and you'll like trip on a tree root and nearly fall over oh. or, you know. <laughs> It's like two worlds <laughs> collide, really, sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, we would, all of us would just really try to see it as, you know, something really funny and just yeah. kind of like, okay, here come the kids. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait for that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. And also, it's, all of these things do distract you from your, from your own problems as well. So any mm. kind of distraction. Something else to think about than than your Achilles or your dodgy knee or whatever or your stomach problems. Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, do you mind telling us about the discovery of your your spiritual life and 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 how that came about and what it's meant to you? Um, sure. So I was um, twenty years old, I guess. I moved to. I'm from Christchurch. I moved to. Wellington um, to do my third year of university in Wellington for kind of really spontaneously and I didn't know that um, the Sri Chimwe Centre had very recently opened up in Wellington like right before I moved there and I had only been there for um, about three days when I saw a poster advertising free meditation workshops and 
I always thought meditation sounded really boring. Um, I think now, this was 26 years ago, so now people have more understanding of meditation, hopefully, Mm. but it looked really boring to me. But at the same time, I was kind of desperate because I really couldn't see how I was going to survive in the world just with what the world was presenting me. And I was pretty disillusioned. I had really lost hope for humanity and I just didn't know how I was going to be satisfied just getting a job and a house and having kids or whatever, you know, whatever Mm. I could see that was, you know, was being presented to me. And so, um, yeah, I thought, well, I'll give it a go. And I went along to a free meditation class and, um, yeah, I really liked it. I was really intrigued by the 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 concept of a spiritual teacher. I'd never heard of spiritual teachers before, and I was a pretty staunch feminist feminist at that time, so I was pretty suspicious of having a male teacher. But then I thought, well, I'll you know, I at the same time I really liked the energy of the people and of the place, and I was also really when I saw the photo of Sri Chinmay, I thought, ah, oh, you know, these kind of people are always they're, they're always dead, they're always from the past. And then when I heard that he was alive, I was like, wow, okay, that's kind of interesting, yeah. you know? So, yeah, so I was intrigued by that. And I just, yeah, I, it gave me a lot of kind of new um, avenues to pursue. And um, so I kept going along to the meditation classes and I really identified with Sri Chinmoy's philosophy of hope and that was something that really resonated with me because I had really lost hope in humanity and he was a hundred percent convinced that there will be peace in the world that people are good and that was how I felt when I was a kid you know and it was something that I really wanted to feel and when I saw that I and when I saw that meditation can give you the capacity to really to really have that hopes really sincerely then I was like, that's what I want, you know. And also I was in my third year of university, I was doing a BA and from what from my experience at university, I was just being presented with a, with a, a whole lot of different theories and no real answers to what life was about. And I was I really wanted answers to what the point of life was. And when when I read Sri Chimoy's books, it just gave such clear answers. It's like a direction forward, you know, that we, that there's this ultimate goal of God realization or self realization or, you know, complete connection with the higher self that we all have God or, you know, the source of divinity within ourselves and that the goal of life is for us to really uncover all of these layers that um, prevent us from seeing this part of ourselves to ultimately become one with it. And, um, whether you believe in reincarnation or not, it kind of became pretty obvious that it's not going to just be a goal that you'll achieve in one lifetime and that you can come back again and again, but you can, you know, each time you'll make progress and, um, and that if you practice, if you consciously practice meditation and practice spirituality, then it will really expedite your journey and that, um, self-transcendence and going beyond yourself and connecting with your higher self are all intrinsically linked and so um I I really identified with that and also I had ever since I was a kid I really 
wanted to do something that would help the world to be a better place. I was, I, I'm an Aquarian. I was always humanitarian minded and um, I wanted to be able to do something for humanity. And then I really connected with the fact that part of Free Chimo's philosophy is that to, um, to help, you know, if you want peace in the world, first you have to have peace in, inside yourself. And if you want to be able to make the world a better place, you have to, you know, you have to be the best person that you are and that's the, that the world is made up of individual people. And so, you know, one of our greatest contributions to the world is by first, um, you know, first, first really, you know, really work on perfecting ourselves and being the best version of ourselves that we can be. And so I, yeah, I thought, wow, like I can really, you know, help the world by being a better person myself. And, um, and then of course, um, yeah, as part of the, um, as part of Sri Chimo's philosophy, we give a lot of free meditation workshops. And, um, then we, I, I moved to Christchurch and we opened the Lotus Heart restaurant, which is a, um, you know, an incredible opportunity to be able to, um, provide a place where people can come and eat food that's cooked with love and to be in a peaceful environment. And I could see how that really, um, how that, that really added something really meaningful to people's lives. And, um, and then I was always drawn to sport. I was always involved with sport ever since I was a kid. My parents were surf lifesavers and I grew up in the surf lifesaving world and doing water polo was my, also my main sport. And, as a teenager, when I struggled with depression and all these kind of things, then I really um, saw how sport, I really felt sport saved my life, you know, because I would be so depressed and I'd have to crawl out of bed to go to a water polo game and then I would forget all my problems and be, you know, playing sports. So I knew how much sport had helped me. So I was really interested and that also really resonated with me that Sri Chimai gave so much importance to the connection between spirituality and you know physical fitness and sport Mm. and so yeah I I started running you know as soon as I started meditating really um became yeah that that was um you know, he talked a lot about the inner running and the outer running and of he, he encouraged any sport that you get joy from, but he found particularly that running mm. was so symbolic to the to the spiritual life and the, the inner journey that we have. And um so I really saw how much my running helped my meditation and my meditation helped my running. So mm. I started doing that and that was they were always really linked right from when I started meditation. Right, because I, I mean, I guess um, for some people, um, meditation and, and 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 peacefulness and so on is almost the complete opposite of of what you might go through as a runner. They might see it that way that you know, running equals pain and um, struggle and so on, and meditation is peaceful and and you know, finding something outside. But but you you've always found that they fit together. They are they they actually they sit together. Is that right? Yeah, perfectly. Yes, mm. yes. And I think I think um, a lot of people, even though they might say running is pain or whatever, a lot of people take their practice of running kind of as their meditation. Yeah. You know, yeah. they practice meditation. It's still it's their time when they um, they get out and they, like, when you run, you can really get rid of so much of depression or worries or anxieties or stress or anger, all these things. If you just go out and run hard, you can really – get rid of all these things and that's like and that's an active form of meditation because meditation is about like clearing out you know all of these kind of 
heavy things to really access the higher parts of ourselves where um um where we what who we ultimately are you know this higher being which is full of light and peace and <laughs> tranquility but to um to access this part of ourselves we have to go beyond all of the kind of turmoil that our mind creates mm, mm, so, wow. yeah yeah so they they fit they fit together and and the, and they complement each other in a way they really they really complement each other and um i think a lot of people through running do become interested in meditation for me because i my running was really inspired by my meditation then um i felt even when i first did like a marathon and then when i when i did my first 60k race like years and years ago i i saw other people go out hard and then kind of die halfway through and i saw like oh, wow, I'm really lucky that I have my practice of meditation because I can kind of keep going because I'm not, yeah, just dependent on my outer capacity, but I have some faith that with, yeah, that within me that I have, um, you know, just the power of the, the, the power of divine qualities over the mind and that the mind is so limited and this is, so important for meditation to go beyond mm. the mind and that's why Sri Chimoy really recommends meditation on the heart center because the heart has all of the um, peace and light and happiness and the mind is kind of is, is so limited whereas everything unlimited comes from the heart and from within and so um, that's an intrinsic part of the philosophy of um, being able to run the 3100 mile race yeah. without it being just like a brutal struggle with your mind you yeah, know yeah yeah <laughs> to really you know he said that when you're doing the race you should try to feel like you're um a, chi- a seven-year-old child running in the garden you know kind of just like which you know sounds like ridiculous but if you can actually really try to bring forward that childlike part of yourself mm. and just like really simplify everything and running does when you run for days and days, it really simplifies your mind also. And you naturally see a lot more beauty in everything. And so you look at the sky and you're like, wow, it's so beautiful. <laughs> you look at like a little child and their face just looks so beautiful. It can give you so much energy and, you yeah. know, newness. Just, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that's because you're identifying with your heart. You're not identifying with the um the limitations and the <laughs> brutal um mm. uh outlook of the mind yeah i had an experience recently during our lockdown that we we're in um several months ago when i was running um some training for a 24 hour race and i was running around a, a 200 meter loop at a local park up the road and I, I was several hours into it and it was sort of a drudge and, you know, oh, feeling a bit sorry for myself. And I changed direction and for some reason I looked up and I saw some hills in the distance that I must have seen, you know, I don't know, countless times. But for some reason mm-hmm. it just, I, I saw it through different eyes and I just, it just gave me a, a boost and a lift. Um, and, I, I, yeah, it was kind of a... a was the was it the exhaustion? Was it the you know the the sort of um, place that I'd got myself to? You know, being frustrated and so on. But you, you mentioned seeing the sky and thinking that's beautiful. Uh, I, it was the same sort of experience of wow. You know, I I've never looked at it like that. Um, and that's only through running that I that I that I saw it that way. Um, right. Yeah. It's a it's a so I kind of I kind of 
I hear what you're saying. Right, right. And one of the um, one of the runners, he kind of pointed out that um, it's only through it's only when you really go through suffering that you kind of, in, in a way, that's that's a real blessing in disguise because it helps you to really cry. Um, to go beyond yourself or really cry to see something, to have a deeper experience. And mm. so the, the challenges that you have, you know, when it's kind of difficult and then there's a part inside yourself that really, you know, really cries for something, um, for something to, for the capacity to do it. And then you can kind of have real like breakthroughs and often the real breakthroughs, like your experience, it's not like the sky parts and angels come down or whatever. Not, yeah. It's just something, it's just like a simple mind shift that mm. completely takes you out of that kind of negative mind and um, helps you to see everything in a different way and realize mm. that at every moment in life, it's all about the way that we, it's all about our attitude, really, you know, the way that we perceive it and how we look at it. And so you could look at running this race as being like absolute torture, you know, <laughs> Um, but then you could look at it as an incredible opportunity to access a, a deeper part of yourself that you normally never have, you know, you normally never, you can just kind of roll through life and in, in the, you know, in the way that our lives are so easy and mm. you don't, you don't have a need to, but once you actually are forced to, then you discover so much more capacity within yourself and so much more depth within yourself than, you know, then in your day-to-day life you realize and then that's um such a beautiful experience because the more you can't really see beautiful qualities in other people unless you can see them in yourself so the more that you can see divine qualities in yourself or recognize them then the more you can also recognize them in other people and then you can just see life in a completely different way and it can give you so much love for humanity so much hope for humanity and um you know so much hope for your own life just by just by a mental shift really you know yeah it doesn't have to, like you say it doesn't have to be angels from heaven look we've kept you for such a long time thank you so so much for your time and and for this conversation there is one more question that we always ask everyone who comes on to church radio and that and that's what is your greatest run ever? It doesn't have to be a race. It doesn't have to. It might be. It doesn't have to be anything significant. But one one run that you think of and think, wow, that was significant to me uh, f- for some reason. Um, it's it's the moment that I think of as my greatest run. Wow. Hmm. <laughs> I haven't really thought about that before. Um... I mean, I guess because I'm because I'm so kind of immersed in the world of the thirty one hundred mile race right now, then I like I kind of and because I just finished doing this race, then I just think of the last three hours of the race. Yeah. And um, although I've had many runs in New Zealand and really beautiful places that I would <laughs> definitely put much higher than um, running around a, you know, outwardly than running around a block in Queens. But um, for me, the last, yeah, the last three hours of this race, which was just a few days ago, it was kind of at the point where I really felt like 
the goal is in sight, you know? I mean, most yeah. people thought the goal was in sight for days before the race finished, but when you're running it, even though there's only a few days to go, you still know that there's so many things to get through and so many things that could go wrong. But when I, and, and I was just kind of running along at a regular pace and then I really had the kind of, in a feeling like I want to finish this race as strong and fast as I possibly can. Like this is a divine victory. I want this to be like, you know, the best possible finish. And so I just started running as fast as I possibly can. And um, I just felt so strong and so happy. And I felt everybody, I really felt like it was everybody's achievement. You know, that all the people who were supporting me and, praying for me and helping me like they were we were all finishing it together and it just you know especially at this time this COVID time with so much uncertainty and everything to be able to have like the certainty of finishing the race and you know knowing that um yeah that it was a victory for everyone just made me so happy and to be able to finish it really you know really strongly knowing I felt much stronger than I have in the other two races and yeah, knowing how much joy it would give people um, just, yeah, made me so happy. And um, mm. and then, you know, then having, like, so many people there at the finish and so many people watching around the world. And, yeah, I felt like it was a divine victory and um, I felt so happy. Wonderful. Thank you so, so much. We really, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for this conversation. And once again, congratulations. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so, so much, uh, Harita. That was a great conversation. I did feel hungry in the middle there. All that conversation of that yummy food sounded delicious. Um, although I imagine when you're 50-odd days deep into a 3,000-mile, 100-mile race, um, and you're not feeling like eating much. It would take a lot to sound appetising, but that sure did sound like good food. But anyway, look, thank you everyone for tuning in. We're on social media at Dirt Church Radio. Email dirtchurchradio at gmail.com. You can find us on all the podcast platforms um, and feel free to like and subscribe if you're fancy. And if you, you can also download direct from the website, which is dirtchurchradio.com. Don't forget to write in with your greatest run ever. We love to hear from you and you can read them on the website too. Um, thank you to our sponsors, Scott Running, Further Faster, Cielli, and thank you to our Patreon patrons and Wild Things. And thanks to our editor, Kieran. We've got a great show lined up for next week, so tune in then. Ka kite ano, koto, ihoma. Thanks, Rigby. <laughs>